All right, we are, uh, we are continuing in Matthew. Uh, I, I really like this little run in, uh, in, in the lectionary because we're just literally going, stopping one week at this verse and starting at the next verse the next week, which, I, which is kind of the way I like to do things uh, when I can. Uh, for the, some of you don't know this, but I think probably the first five years that we were at church, we just went through the book of Luke doing that for like five years, uh, which it was just fun at the beginning of every service to be like, today we're in Luke. And everyone's like, yeah, we're yeah, yeah. Um, but we're going through it, and uh, Jesus has been having this conflict with uh, the temple leaders. Um, again, as we have said many times, he is not in conflict with Jewish people. He is a Jewish people. <laughs> he is, um, so he, uh, all this is taking place within Judaism, but the leaders of the temple at the time are doing things and treating people in ways that Jesus is not okay with, and, and they're not okay with him, and so he's having these conflicts with them, and he's telling parables about them uh, that they don't like very much, and then we have Another example here um, that we uh, see where they, uh, the Pharisees uh, get so desperate that they begin to make some strange uh, friends uh, to, to work against Jesus. Uh, we're in Matthew 22, 15 through 22. Um, I, I love this text. I'm going to be honest with you. I had, to, I had to trim a lot off of what I first wrote down because it was going to be like a two-hour sermon. Uh, so hopefully it still makes sense after all the, all the cuts. Um, hopefully I did a better job than cutting and pasting on that scripture earlier, but um, I just couldn't, I couldn't think there's, that this could be more important. I think this, I, every time I read it, it gets more important to me. So uh, let's go ahead and read it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop as we're going through this to, to give a little bit of background because there are certain people and things going on that if you don't know the history of it, this, it's just not going to make as much sense, right? So uh, let, let's walk through it. Uh, verse 15 from Matthew 22 says this, Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. So let me pause there for a minute. Right off the bat, we have the Pharisees, uh, who are kind of the religious elites of the day. Um, and you have them pairing up with who are called the Herodians, which I know is, a, is just not a good name in general, but uh, it comes from Herod, right, King Herod. And this is a very strange combination because Pharisees, ideally as a group, want Rome to be gone, Right? In fact, they believe if, if uh, Israel would just purify itself and follow uh, the ways of God and, and as, as well as they were, <laughs> then eventually God would deliver them from Rome. They don't like Rome. They don't want Rome to be a part of anything, right? And yet here they are with the Herodians, and the Herodians are named after Herod. They represent the interests of Rome. So really, these are people that kind of should be enemies. But uh, what helps bring enemies together better than anything else? A common enemy, right? You can, you, you can pair up with just about anyone as long as you dislike the same person. And so they have a common cause here, which is get rid of Jesus. And so immediately, even if these two are showing up together, you know, your red flags go up uh, at the time when this happens. So uh, the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said, so they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, quote, teacher or rabbi, depending on your translation there, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. And I say it in that tone because this is almost definitely an insincere compliment, right? They don't like Jesus. Uh, and the first sign that you are in big trouble is when someone you know doesn't like you starts a conversation with that kind of flattery, right? That is when something really bad is getting ready to follow it, in fact, they tell you if, you, if you're ever a manager of people, they tell you that if you're going to have to have a difficult conversation, maybe even fire someone, 
you're supposed to do what's called a compliment sandwich, right? Which is like, tell them how great they are and then how fired they are and then tell them how great they are again. Um, it doesn't work that way because they never get around to how great he is again. This is a, an, an open face compliment sandwich, uh, but it's completely insincere. Uh, they, they don't actually like Jesus. They're just kind of doing this weird show here for everybody. Verse 17, now that they've complimented him, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Ah, stop again, right? Um, this is a very carefully chosen and strategic question. These two groups of people got together and tried to come up with the question that Jesus can't answer in front of a crowd without somehow getting himself in trouble, right? The tax that they're talking about here is the, as a census tax. It's a flat tax that everyone has to pay, one denarius, which is what your average worker would make in a day back then. So there's one denarius, and it's one of those taxes that is hated by Jews because it's just arbitrary. Everyone has to pay it, and it's going to be particularly hated by poor Jews, right? Because the way a flat tax works is that it's more burdensome on the poor than it is the rich, right? If you've got a bunch of money, one denarius is no big deal. But if one denarius is an entire day's work for you to feed your family, to give up one day's worth of food and uh, housing for your family is extremely burdensome. So obviously, the Jews, who especially those who can't afford it, all of them really, because they don't like Rome uh, you know, being their overlords, but especially the ones that have a hard time affording it, really resent this kind of stuff from Rome. So they're saying, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And whatever way Jesus answers this question, he's going to get in trouble with someone, right? If he says, yes, pay taxes to Caesar, well, then it looks like he's siding with the oppressor, right? That's going to upset the Jews who are looking for deliverance from Rome. And it may even contradict, in their own minds, some of Jesus' own teachings where he's told them to give all of themselves to God and these kind of things, right? So there's, that's, if he answers it that way, he's going to be in trouble with the crowd and with a lot of his Jewish followers. If he answers, no, that's unjust, don't pay this tax, well, now the Herodians get to go back to the powers that be and say, we've got an insurrectionist on our hand. This guy is going around and telling people not to pay their taxes and not to treat Caesar like the God that he is, right? So they him in this spot, they ask him one of those yes and no questions that no matter how you answer, you're wrong. Uh, when we were kids, we used to like to do this. Answer yes or no. Does, uh, does your mom know you're stupid, right? Well, there's, there's no good way to answer that question, right? That, that we thought those were hilarious when I was a kid. So, and that's what they're doing. They're trying to trap them in this insincere and no-win question. All right. So Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for tax. So immediately he calls us what it is. Like, we all know what's happening here. Thanks for the compliment and all. You can keep it. This is all hypocritical. We know what's happening here, right? He says, show me the coin used for the tax. They brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, whose head is this and whose title? And they answered, Caesar's. Right? So, he calls them hypocrites. He says, well, what coin are you talking about? What coin do you need? And they produce a denarius. It's got Caesar's image on it. It also has a claim on it in the inscription that basically equates Caesar with being a god, right? So uh, it's a, a claim of deity that's, that's written on this coin. So he asks about the denarius, and I think this might have been another kind of low-key way of Jesus to call out their hypocrisy, right? Because they are able to produce this coin. Jesus doesn't have one in his pocket, helps identify him with those poor Jews who would be upset if he told them that they had to pay the tax, right? He's, he's not walking, he has no money of his own. 
They have got enough money to produce it, which kind of calls something out right there. Why do they have it and other people don't? But also, uh, what it means is they are producing uh, in, this is still in the temple area as far as we know. This entire scene for the last few weeks has been the temple area. They're producing on the temple grounds a graven image of a false god that they're carrying around, right? So this is, basically, this is a no-no. This is not something you're supposed to be doing anyways, right? So there's, uh, there's this kind of way of calling them out just by having them produce it that's unspoken here. But whose head and whose title? They answer, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. They left him, and they went away. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. All right, so my hope tonight is that on some level we will be as uh, amazed or jarred or gobsmacked at, as, at this teaching as those who were standing in front of Jesus were because they had a great plan, they had it all put together, these were the people in the know, and they just walk away amazed from Jesus' uh, explanation or, or answer to this question. I don't think we tend to take it uh, to that degree, right? Most of us hear this and go, okay, and then move along. But the more I hear it, the more important I think this is when you really begin to dig into what it is that Jesus is saying and the question that Jesus is asking us to answer. Unfortunately, I think this text a lot of times is used to talk about um, Christ's teachings or our job as Christians or however you want to say it in a way that undercuts the entire point of what I actually think Jesus is trying to say here, right? I've often heard this talked about, um, a lot actually heard this talked about, uh, that in a way that advocates kind of some weird segmenting of our Christian life, right? Well, you know, Jesus said, give to Caesar what's Caesar and to God what's God. So therefore, you know, I give God the spiritual stuff in my life, but, um, you know, my politics belong to this party and my money belongs, well, to me, my money belongs to me and my, my identity belongs to my vocation and my whatever the thing is, and we segment this out. So I'm giving to Caesar with Caesar, but don't worry, I'm saving the spiritual stuff kind of for God, right? And we just kind of divide ourselves up like this. And to be honest, that would be my preferred interpretation because I'm really good at that. Uh, it comes natural to me. I do it all the time. Um, it would just really fit better for me and be more comfortable if that's what Jesus was saying here. The problem, uh, there's one like, kind of featured problem with this idea, is that it's entirely unscriptural and it's not what Jesus teaches anywhere, right? So that, that is kind of one problem with interpreting it that way, I would say. Because scripture teaches very clearly that the world is God's and everything within it. Scripture teaches that everything is made in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ, right? Scripture teaches that it's all God's. Um, Jesus himself teaches us that we cannot divide ourselves between different things. He teaches you cannot serve two masters, right? You will love one and you will hate the other. In that situation, he's talking about God and money specifically, but that principle holds true uh, in a larger sense too. You cannot have coexisting allegiances, we as human beings cannot be divided within ourselves in this way. And uh, it resembles to me a lot of what I've been reading about and learning about, uh, that science is now teaching us about attention, like our own attention spans, and the idea of multitasking. Uh, and I, I read a book not too long ago that was talking about that, and uh, they are now telling us, and those who are like studying the brain and all that are telling us, um, that we basically just have a certain amount of attention, and uh, it can be divided but it cannot be multiplied, 
right? You have a certain amount of attention. In other words, um, when you think you are doing two things at once, you're just doing two things worse at once, right? You're not, I know some of you feel like, no, no, I'm really good at multitasking. You're, you're just not. Uh, that's not how the human brain works, right? You might be doing two things at once, but you're stealing from one thing to give attention to the other. That's, that's just how it goes. Again, wish that wasn't true. I would love you know, to watch TV all day at work and get work done. Uh, it just turns out I can't actually do that because I, can't, I, can't, I can divide it, but I can't multiply it, right? That, it kind of works that same way with us as human beings. You can't divide our attention, and you also can't divide our allegiance, right? Um, and those are almost, honestly, almost interchangeable terms in today's world, right? Because what gets our attention gets our allegiance. And uh, the makers of our phones and televisions and apps and news outlets certainly understand that if no one else does. Uh, everything they are doing is to try and get one more second of your intention, attention because they know if they get that, they get everything, right? So let's think about this idea. We cannot divide ourselves. That's not what this is talking about. So let's think about what I believe is the large question that Jesus is putting before us. Even though he doesn't directly say it, this is the implied question of this entire teaching. Whose face is on this? Whose name is on this? Caesar. Okay, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. So the question becomes then, what is God's? What bears God's image? If this coin bears Caesar's image, so you give it to Caesar, what bears God's image? If we were to give to God what bears God's image, then that's the most important question for us to answer. And we are very lucky in this instance, because while this is a very big question, we actually have a very direct and simple answer for it. What bears God's image? The answer for that big question is humanity, people. Human beings are made in the image of God. We are God's image bearers. In Caesar's kingdom, there's a particular currency. In Caesar's kingdom, the currency is these coins, these round-formed bits of metal that are stamped with Caesar's image. And when they, when they decide on this is the thing, this is our currency, then this randomly selected element that they've stamped in this way gains a certain kind of value. It gets a certain kind of power in that kingdom. And now this is what matters most in the kingdom. It's just a coin with a picture on it, but it steers the ship in the kingdom of Caesar. People feast or they starve based on it. It establishes who is in and who is out, who has the power to shape things and who does not. Virtually everything in this kingdom is built upon the power of what it considers to be its currency. Right? In God's kingdom, that currency is humanity. That currency is people. People are what matter most. People hold the true value. People bear the image of the king. The flourishing of humanity uh, in, is what shapes virtually everything in the kingdom of God. People are the currency. Every law of the kingdom is ordered under this value, right? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. All commands come under these two things. All the law is summed up in that one prevailing value. Loving God by loving each other. All the rules of the kingdom, all the values of the kingdom are here. In the kingdom of God, people matter most. People are our value. 
Again, this is why I think Jesus teaches things like you cannot serve two masters. You cannot have a foot in two different kingdoms. This is why Jesus teaches we can't serve both God and money. We can't straddle the fence between two kingdoms. And that is such a painful image, straddling the fence, but it works really well. Because that's a miserable place to exist. I don't know if you've ever slipped while trying to make it over uh, over a fence and had to straddle it for a moment. Not comfortable. Not where you want to spend a lot of time. The fundamental value structure of the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world are different. They are in opposition to each other. You can't serve both things. It's like recently I remember watching, uh, there was a football game on and uh, there was a mother who was up in like the, you know, the good seats up in the box and she had a son on both teams uh, that were playing. And it's one of those things, and I've seen that situation before, and what they do is you'll usually have some special jersey made where it's like half one team and half the other, right? And then they're in the stands, and they're like cheering. And when one son does something well, they cheer for him, even though what that son did well is actually harming the other son, and, right? And then they cheer for this one, and then they cheer for that one. But really, what they do mostly is just look miserable. I don't know if you've seen a mother in that situation, but mostly it's head and hands. It's looking like she wants to cry as much as she wants to cheer, just looking like she is tortured, right? She looks miserable most of the time, like a nervous wreck, and it is the look of someone sitting on a fence. It's not fun. How do you serve two things at once that are in opposition to each other, right? So today, let's consider this position. Let's consider what it means to say that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We may live in Caesar's world, but Caesar's values will not be our values. For us, one thing matters more than anything else. People. One thing matters more than anything else. Each other. I can't tell you how central and important I believe this to be. I think this is, needs to maybe be the chief witness of the church in today's day and age. In a world so full of ideas and personalities and parties and just stuff demanding our attention and our allegiance We simply cannot lose what has true value to us as citizens of God's kingdom without losing it all. The world is constantly calling us to try and fit somewhere else. And thinking about this, I thought about the awful violence we've seen in the Gaza Strip, the conflict that's going on over there right now. A couple weeks ago when Hamas attacked um, in that horrible, awful way, almost immediately you could begin to see how this world's calls to allegiances began, right? On one extreme of our, call it a political spectrum, whatever, on one extreme, there were actually people that celebrated the violence because of their opposition to Israel's treatment of the Palestinians. They were almost excited about what had happened. And then on the other extreme, you have this reaction where there's a bunch of people adopting the rhetoric of genocide in regards to Palestine. Like, because they did this, you can just wipe them off the map, and it's okay. Then both sides begin to commence telling the rest of us that we better sign up for one of the two sides. And if we don't agree totally with them, then you must be on their side, or vice versa. So make sure you post the right thing or say the right thing, or else you're complicit in whatever is most evil about the world. And it's just the worst. Because neither of these ways of framing something like that problem represent the values of the kingdom of God. 
What matters most to us is humanity. What matters most to us is people. That is the currency of our kingdom that we have taken on. I can't call, as a citizen of that kingdom, I can't call any loss of innocent human life a good thing, even if my team wins because of it. It's a waste of the one thing that holds real value in the kingdom that I claim. I can never celebrate death. I can never celebrate violence. I can't do that and be a citizen of this kingdom. Now, I am not being Pollyanna or overly idealistic about what is happening over there. It is an incredibly difficult, convoluted, long history. Of, I mean, it's, I don't have to tell you. I don't, I'm not overly idealistic about it. We just all hold hands and sing kumbaya. It'll all just go away. I know that's not how it works. We live in a messy, violent, difficult world. And we all face terrible, no-win situations out there in the world and even sometimes in our own lives. And in fact, one thing I think this teaching of Jesus teaches us for sure is that we will always have a level of discomfort as long as we are citizens of one kingdom living in another kingdom but not holding its values, right? This world will always be taxing to us. This world will always exact attacks from us. This unnerving and vicious place will always take a toll on us. Caesar will rob us all in one way or another from time to time. In fact, I would argue that if you're not uncomfortable uh, trying to navigate this world as a citizen of the kingdom of God, then something is probably wrong. But we can't forget what holds the most value for us. We can't forget our values. What matters most in the kingdom of God are those that bear the creator's image in this broken world. That, keeping that value, keeping that in the center of who we are and why we make the decisions we make is how we render unto God what is God's. On this, we cannot be divided we cannot be divided among each other. We cannot be divided within ourselves. People are the currency. Humanity is what has value. We should vote the way we vote because of our love for people. We should worship the way we worship because of our love for people. We should spend our treasure and our time and our talents the way we do because of our love for people. Nothing else really matters apart from the flourishing of our neighbors. That is how we give back to God what matters most to God. Nothing else in the kingdom we have adopted has any real lasting value. And if we forget that, we lose it all. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are thankful um, We are thankful that you are building a kingdom with some values that make sense. We are thankful that you are a God who values people of, of all. God, we confess that there are many things that call for our attention and our allegiance, and we are quick to pay attention. 
We confess that it is easy. Uh, the more time we give to our politics, the more time we give uh, to the argumentation, to all the other things, it's easy to begin to adopt their values, to begin to see the world through their lens. So God, call us back to what matters. Remind us again about what holds true value in the kingdom you are trying to build. God, may we be a people who above all love people. May the things we do, the things we say, the way we live in this world be oriented around nothing else. Lord, so that we might give back to you what matters most to you. God, we do love you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, will you stand with me?